This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we are going to recap the Thursday night game and, of course, jump right into our Sunday slate of games. We're going to pick every single NFL game against the spread that is Sunday. That's coming up all very shortly. But first of all, we have news with Julius Lux. Julius, how are you doing today? All is well. Hopefully by the time this show comes back, we're seeing a more exciting result and higher score. But other than that, all is well. How about yourself? Um, good, good. Yeah, we are recording this at halftime during Thursday Night Football, and it's been pretty abysmal so far. It's been <laughs> field goals and fumbles. That's that's the, uh, All there the is title for the article on this game, for sure. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that turns around a little bit and somebody takes command and they don't all look like they're about to, you know, basically poop themselves mm-hmm. out there. Literally. Um, this it, It's ugly. It's it's real ugly. Like, everyone looks uncomfortable. It's it's not a good... Pri- is, this what it, is this what it's like when people used to watch the Jets on a primetime Thursday night game? <laughs> is this what it felt like for everybody else? <laughs> Um, it's, it's pretty close, I guess you could say. <laughs> okay. It's, All I right. guess you could say it's, I remember seeing like a Browns Bengals Thursday night game and that was when AJ McCarron was starting for the Bengals. Oof. Andy Dalton was out and I couldn't even tell you the quarterback for the Browns cause it was that era of just the new guy every year. So I was like, this is a, this is our Thursday night special. Yeah, we've said we've had some bad ones, but this one oh, yeah. is, this one's up there, man. This is up there. It is really up there. Matt Ryan just hit his tenth fumble in the season already. <laughs> it's crazy. All right, it's we're not up. recapping that game. We're not recapping that game. We're just lamenting the the evening. That's all. All right, what we have so ju- far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's jump into uh, the news for today. All right, let's get to it. So. Jerry Venisi, the former general manager of the Chicago Bears, he's the man who helped construct the 1985 Super Bowl team, passed away at the age of 80. He spent 15 years in the Bears organization, four years as the GM. He also spent three years with the Detroit Lions during the time the Lions selected Barry Sanders. So tough loss, and it's very sad to see this news. For sure. Only four years as a GM and you built that Bears defense? It seems kind of short, doesn't it? Yeah, I was. I, I mean, he was in the organization for 15 years, so I'm sure he had some more roles. But yeah, well, four years right. as the general manager. That's not. That's not. That's not long for a Super Bowl winning. Yeah. But uh, anyway, maybe maybe he wasn't GM until technically until after that. Mm-hmm. I would have to check on that. But yeah, um, it's a shame. 80, 80 is is you know it's it's not young, but. These days, I think you hope for a little bit more. But anyway, you know, long life working in the NFL, probably a dream come true. So, and he's got a ring, so it's always mm-hmm. it's always special mm-hmm. to have that. Moving on, Alan Kamara shares he is ready to go versus their upcoming game against the Seattle Seahawks. He did not travel with the team to London in their Week Four matchup versus the Vikings. Now he seems ready to go, according to him, and I guess we'll see his status for Sunday. Yeah, uh, sounds pretty confident. Um, 
they are going to need everything they can get. The Seahawks just put up a lot of points. Now, I will say that the Saints' defense is a lot better than the Lions' defense, but uh, they are, they're going to need their offensive weapons if they want to keep up because apparently Geno Smith is good this year. Absolutely, and I'm going to go out of order of what I've sent you real quick and just stick with the Saints news because Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas were not practicing Thursday as well. Both are dealing with injuries. Winston has the back and ankle injury, and Andy Dalton took over for him last week, and it's not looking too good right now for both of them, but we should, of course we, ha- we shall see what they're up to for Sunday. Yeah, I wouldn't be really surprised if Michael Thomas doesn't practice really but does play you know at this point he's, he kind of doesn't need to practice that much but uh but who knows Winston I don't like the fact that he didn't practice Thursday that's not a good sign so I don't know yeah probably going to be Andy Dalton for the second week in a row absolutely but speaking of practicing and getting back on the field Miles Garrett practiced for the first time since his car accident he was dealing with shoulder and bicep injuries from the incident he, of course, was limited with his action on the field, but it's good to see him back on the field as well. Yeah, if he's out there practicing, he's probably going to play this weekend, and that's that's big for the Browns who are you know, in danger of dropping below 500 at this point for the first time in the season. Yeah, absolutely agree. Veteran Landon Collins is returning to the New York Giants where he spent the first four years of his career. He will join the practice squad, and he will be practicing at several different positions, such as defensive back and linebacker. So it must be so weird to be a first-round pick, to be a high-paid veteran, and then to go back to the team that you originally were drafted by as a practice squad player. It's, Especially he was a Defense of the Year candidate, I think, one year. He was up as there. A, yeah, I don't remember exactly what that what year that would have been, but he he that was probably right before he got paid by Washington, I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet that was that year. But yeah, um, it's got to be a weird feeling to like just to be a. I know the practice squad is different than it used to be, but it's got to be a weird feeling to go from, you know, setting the market for safety safeties to, to being a practice squad player. I mean, it's nothing to, to sneeze at. They still make good money, but it just it, the lifestyle, the demands of of that role with the team are so different. Yeah, absolutely. He's a very nice guy too. I met him the first year they had the Pro Bowl in Orlando. Very, very cool guy to just stop by and say hi to a bunch of people. So that was nice of him. Shout out to Landon Collins on that one and for the selfie. Um, moving, <laughs> on to the, moving on to the last piece of news I got for you. Brian Hoare, backup quarterback for the Patriots, is on the IR with the concussion. He, of course, suffered the head injury 15 plays after taking over Mac Jones in last week's game. And Mac Jones news for you. It is unclear about his status. He is limited, but Belichick is staying optimistic about his status. Bailey Zapp is most likely to start, so we're about to see a third-string action for uh, this week. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought might happen, and um, who knows with the Patriots. I mean, that arm is, is... It's... Again, these guys are playing in the NFL. I always want to preface everything I say because I don't want to sound dismissive, but <laughs> but that, like, the, the arm talent there that's it's I don't think it's really viable for you know multiple games of NFL action so you know hopefully they are able to successfully run the ball and and you know rely on that as they like to do anyway but I I don't want to have to watch him try and sling it all over the field because that you know I just don't think it's a recipe for a good offense 
I totally get you on that one. That is everything I've got for you today. All righty. Appreciate you, Julius. Let everybody know where they can find you so we can go back to watching this barn burner of a Thursday night football game. Fingers crossed it gets better. I saw Ross Wilson just completed a pass for like 12 yards. So we're looking all right so far. But whoa, going, whoa. <laughs> I know, right? Going crazy. This is crazy. Anyway. Biggest play of the game so far. <laughs> Literally. But you can find me on Twitter. That is GotJuice44. That's GotJuice44 on Twitter. You can find me on gridironheroics.com where you can find all my articles and the appearances I've made on the show. And on Facebook, just search up my name, Julius Lux. All right. So we will be back shortly with Dave Guberman to talk about this game and find out if it went any better than (laughs) what it looks like so far. All right. See you soon, Julius. Take care. I can't even. I really can't even. I'm here with Dave Guberman to talk about this Thursday night football game that we just submitted ourselves to, and I don't even know where to begin. Dave, Dave, how you doing? I'm good, and I was kind of bored kind of in the first half, but as we got along in the third quarter and the fourth quarter of this one, it kind of got more exciting at how terrible that this was. I just saw Damian <laughs> Woody said this game may have taken us, taken offenses back 50 years, this one game. But yeah. these two teams definitely lived up to the hype of being two <laughs> of the three lowest scoring teams in the league so far, and they did that tonight. Well, look, at some point it became how bad can it get? And it got bad. Like, seriously, the the way that this went to overtime and and the way that it finished. And and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But they were trying to set a standard that literally every Thursday night football game for the rest of the season will comfortably beat out. (laughs) You know, next week we've got the Bears playing. Who do we have the Bears against next week? Uh, I have to check. But uh, look, that game's not going to be good. And... uh, I saw people on Twitter were talking about the 0-16 Browns could compete with the Colts and Broncos tonight. They could have, 100%. All right, let's let's talk about the game. First of all, the Colts' offensive line is one of the worst ever right now. I mean, considering how much money they've spent there, I don't necessarily think it's a problem outright to spend at the offensive line. We've seen teams do it, and and, and it's worked out. But the thing is that if you do that, you have to make sure that every single position is good enough because one bad offensive lineman can be an absolute liability and basically destroy your entire offense. You know, one bad wide receiver can't do that if you've got a good receiver and a good tight end and a good running back. One bad offensive lineman, that's it for you because... They will just force that player to get one-on-one all the time. And left tackle, obviously, That's um, that, that was the biggest issue tonight, hands down, no doubt about it. And Matt Ryan got beat up. He got knocked around. I couldn't even believe some of the balls he was completing that, why, he, that he was throwing while his arm was getting hit. And the ball would just flutter and somehow still end up in the, sa- in the right vicinity. So it, the Colts' offense is... Is the first place, and the place to begin with them is that offensive line. 
Yeah, I think you're starting to see some of their better offensive line players start to get a little bit older, like Quentin Nelson. I think Ryan Kelly got hurt uh, tonight, so they didn't they didn't have much success. They only they only ran four yards per carry on the ground as a team. And like you said, Matt Ryan got crushed all night. He had, ended up getting sacked six times. So, and I kind of said this going into the year. I didn't think that Matt Ryan was a insert here, automatic solution, resolve their problems from last year with Carson Wentz. Because the last two years, the Colts have gone, have what, had five different starting quarterbacks of week one the past five years. So... Matt Ryan, while he's an established veteran, I didn't see him coming in and making that team that much better than what Wentz was able to do last year. Yeah, well, I mean, even he was even probably the better quarterback in this game tonight, but still you cannot overcome issues like that. I mean, they have got to reach out to somebody and get somebody in to play left tackle for them immediately. I, maybe they'll put Pryor back on the left side for this upcoming week. I don't know, but they've got to figure something something out because that is not a feasible way to win against basically any other team in the NFL. If you are putting that out there, you will win maybe one more game for the rest of the year. You've got to improve it. The, <laughs> the Broncos offense is actually better than the Colts offense, but somehow Russell Wilson looked actually worse. Like worse decision-making less comfortable in the pocket despite overall less pressure he 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 was inaccurate I, he it was no matter what you want to say about Russell Wilson over his career at some of his lower points he has never looked that bad even when he had the hand injury he didn't look as bad as he's, as he's looked lately and particularly tonight this was shocking i think is a, is a reasonable word to use and I think that's one of my main takeaways from this game is the biggest thing that sticks out like a sore thumb is Denver's offense and especially Denver's offense in crucial situations. They are mm -hmm. hands down dead last in third down. I'm sorry, they're, they're dead last in red zone percentage at 30%. The next worst team in the league is the 49ers, at 40%. So they're 10% points better than the Broncos, who are dead last. And not only the red zone, but also third down. Whereas Russell Wilson and the Broncos were two for 14 on third down tonight. So their offense in those situations has been atrocious. And he had two terrible interceptions. Mm -hmm. Two awful late throws, one of which was intercepted by Stephon Gilmore, another late throw on that fourth down to end the game that was batted down by Stephon Gilmore. So, yeah, you're right. He looked terrible, and the Broncos are the team of these two who gave up so many first-round picks to get him on their team. What is supposed to be a win-now team, both these teams going out to get veteran quarterbacks, who are supposed to take them over the hump. But so far this year, that offense and Russell Wilson has been off god awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the Colts offense, it's it's almost there. If you actually put a viable player in at left tackle and right tackle and and, and didn't have Jonathan Taylor hurt, that I'm not saying it's a world beating offense, 
but it's not a joke of an offense. You know what I mean? I think they're 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 a few pieces away from being right. And they gave up, like you said, way, way, way less to bring in Matt Ryan, just a single third-round pick, and, and you know, didn't shell out the monster contract. The Broncos shelled out way more. They're still going to be paying draft assets this coming year. They won't really have a way to immediately improve. They gave him the bag, a huge, huge contract, which surprised me because I... You've never seen it work. I said this before the season. You've never seen it work in Denver. You've never seen it work with this coaching staff. You've never seen it. So it's not like you had to pay him or else he was a free agent. Just, I don't... I I thought I was probably overthinking it, but I did say it before the season started. Obviously, some, uh, some patience would have been the wise decision there. Both defenses actually looked pretty good overall. I will say that. I mean, and now the question is, is that because they were playing two terrible offenses or are they legitimate defenses? I think we've seen the Broncos defense play pretty well. I think we've seen the Colts defense play pretty well in other games. So this is this. These are both going to be held back by one side of the ball for the rest of the season. And I think at this point, it's there are a lot of issues with the amount of money invested in Broncos country, because that's a new contract for their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. That looks like a major mistake. It's a new contract for Russell Wilson, which looks like a major mistake. So this is not, this is not a something that they are able to step out of easily without taking a huge hit. Now there's new ownership there. Ownership was not there when those two guys were traded for, um, and or hired. Although, you know, I think he, may have been there by the time Russell Wilson received his extension, but new ownership is not tied to these guys. And I think, he, I mean, he's by far the wealthiest owner in, you know, the NFL. So if there's, a, if there's a guy who can afford to take a huge L in the cash department, he is it. So don't be surprised if, you know, this is blown up faster than you ever could have imagined. Yeah, and I know a lot of things people are saying right now is the first month of the season is kind of like a preseason with a lot of these teams not playing their guys in the actual preseason. So I don't want to get too hasty. I know we're only four games into the season so far. It's hard to say. Time will tell how much of this is Russ needs some more time to mesh with his receivers and his skill position players. It doesn't help that they just lost Javante Williams to the season, but... Yeah, time will tell to see how that plays out. But I know nobody thought they were going to look this bad. I know that. I knew there would be an adjustment period. I I was very suspectful. I don't even know if that's a word. I did suspect heavily that the offense for the Broncos was not going to be what everyone expected right away. I thought it would probably round into form. I I genuinely did not pick them to make the playoffs because I, I thought there might be some growing pains. But again, like you said, never thought it was going to look this bad. This offense, it's probably the worst in the NFL at this point, and it just looks like everything is collapsing in. Let's talk about some of these coaching decisions, okay? Let's do it. Why? Why? Why would you not kick the field goal at the end? If you're Hackett for Denver? Yeah, why would you not kick that field goal? A, your offense has been absolutely atrocious. Your quarterback just 
through an inter- a terrible interception in the in the end zone. You've been running the ball, so if you're not gonna go for, if you're not gonna kick the field goal, and you're really gonna go for it. First of all, put the ball in the hands of Melvin Gordon. He's been your best offensive player, you know, th- that night. Period. Russ doesn't look good, and B, d- are you afraid of a Colts offense that put up nine points in regulation? You would have a better chance of winning that game by forcing a fumble or an interception and scoring off of that, or a quick stop and and a score than you would putting the ball in the hands of Russell Wilson tonight. And you would never have said that in the past. Say what you want about that the the Super Bowl years ago. Generally speaking, he has been a very good fourth quarter quarterback. But you've got to read the situation. You've got to realize that that was not the moment. I, I, I was genuinely shocked. I've seen teams be aggressive, but I was genuinely shocked about the decision for him to not kick the field goal, put the ball in the hands of Russell Wilson, and basically give up the game. Yeah, so I think that's kind of twofold, where this is not the same decision that Harbaugh had last week with the Bills-Ravens game. Same fourth down and short. He decides to go for instead of kick a field goal to take the three-point lead. This was you were down three. That fourth down is game on the line. And they could have tied the game to keep the game going. So, and I was not that surprised given how much flack and how much reaction there was to him being so conservative by kicking that long field goal in week one to take the ball out of Russ's hands. So I think that that might have been in his mind to maybe err on the side of maybe too aggressive in this one. But... Yeah, that was tough. That was a tough call. And another another thing is, with only two minutes to go in the game, how do you know? That's essentially either you're playing for the tie or you're playing for the win. So would you make the call any different knowing that you won't, don't get the ball back and knowing that it would be a tie if you do kick the field goal? I mean, realistically, when you have a fourth down with five yards to go and you're in the middle of the field, you have a lot more room to work with. I mean, you can, you can, because of the way you can spread out a defense, you can even realistically scramble for five yards, right? That's not, that's not ridiculous. When you're in the red zone, everything is crunched together. If you scramble out, you will have a corner who may have been in man or zone coverage who can come up and tackle you, right? Like it, it's a lot. There's a reason the red zone is the red zone and, and the players that are money in the red zone get paid because that it's harder to operate there because everything is condensed. So it's, it's totally different offensively from that standpoint and the other standpoint is we're talking about an easy guaranteed field goal versus a 64 yarder so I understand I understand how there's a parallel there but it's like a complete inverse like you he made the wrong decision in both of those situations in 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 exactly an opposite way and and again you have your superstar quarterback. You don't put it in his hands to win the game. But it's like the the problem is you. My expectation was that that was going to be a disaster of a play, right? And I think I like think that's if, I think that's fair. Knowing how if, terrible the Broncos are in the red zone, especially even exactly. more of a reason to kick the field goal. But yeah, and I'm not saying that his decision was rational either. But mm-hmm. I, I think that the fir- that first week. Even a completely different scenario, different circumstance altogether, like you said, 
I think it may have been his mind to be more aggressive in this one. And they had their most success of the game on that drive. It took Russell like three or four plays to get down into the red zone with including a long pass to Jerry Judy. So I think that it was he thought it was the time that was the time to win the game if they were going to win it. But it make it was a fitting end to a game that you thought might never end. But <laughs> it was like watching a car crash for three hours straight. Well, you know, and even that throw to Jerry Judy wasn't a good throw. Like if he caught, if he threw that on point, hit him in stride, that could have been a touchdown right then and there. That wasn't even a good throw. He was just so open. He got lost. It was a complete coverage bus. He was so open that he was able to stop, uh, slow down and basically stop to catch the ball and then continue on. So it's like, it, I, I get it, but it's just, R- Russ was inaccurate all day. And I, I I cannot condone that decision in any way, shape, or form. And there's not a lot of times where I will just pile on a guy, but it's like when when you see something that you think is so obvious and then they don't take that route and then it plays out exactly how you expected it to, it's, it's hard not to, to trash it. So at this point, Broncos are two and three and trending dramatically downward. Their players are getting hurt. Garrett Balls, I believe their left tackle, exited this game with what looked like a severe injury as he was carted off. So don't know what it is yet, but if he's done for the season, that does not help a mediocre at best offensive line. Um, and I, I would not be surprised. I genuinely would not be surprised if we saw a coach fired in less than a season, if this continues if this trajectory continues where it just looks it looks absolutely insanely bad but just because of the new ownership and how wealthy he is you know uh i I think they may just try something anything to to turn things around there um colts they walk away with a win they are now two 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 and one so they are they're not out of it in the AFC South, which is, you know, been, uh, a, I don't want to say, it's been a little underwhelming. I don't think anybody expected it to be the best division in football, but now they're right back in contention from a numerical standpoint. The, that offensive line, though, has to be fixed. It has to be fixed in some way, shape, or form if they are going to be a, a halfway decent football team. Yeah, three out of four teams. At or above 500, so not too shabby. AFC South, way to go. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, from a, from a numerical standpoint, you can give them props. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, the race for the divisional crown in the South is going to be something interesting to watch. Uh, last thing, so it was Commanders. It's Bears-Commanders this coming Thursday. So um, can they outdo this game? Can they? That's the real question. That, after that tonight, all... <laughs> after tonight, which was the never a game has ever happened in the history of the NFL with two QBs with four plus Pro Bowl appearances without a single touchdown until tonight. So thank you, Matt Ryan. Thank you, Russell Wilson, for that performance. Can we come up with a wilder stat for Thursday Night Football next week? That is. The oh, I'm question. sure. I'm sure we'll come up with some crazy stats. Just special for next week. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for us. I mean, I, last thing, shout out Alec Pierce. He had a, a good game. Rookie is developing. Um, shout out Matt Ryan just for doing everything he could to withstand that. And um, 
just and shout, out, shout out to Alex Singleton making some big plays for the defensive mm-hmm. uh, for Denver's defense. All right, so those are the plays that we noticed among all of the the manure and. Uh, <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's it we're gonna pick some games for this thursday or for this uh sunday now um so stay tuned for that and dave let everybody know where they can find you yes you guys can follow me at my work at gridiron heroics or at my twitter which is at dave guberman thanks guys Beautiful. tighten up <laughs> all right we'll see you soon gamblers wagerers and Riverboat Ramblers. Tonight, we pick. All right, we are back with Kyle Nishida and Bryson Owens to pick every single Sunday game against the spread. Now, I, I hope we have some improvements over last night, guys, because I cannot watch a Sunday slate that looks anything like maybe the worst game of football I've ever seen last night. That was a pairing of games between your two favorite teams. And I want to offer my condolences to you, but I also want to just remind you that I have been a Jets fan for the past 10, 12 years. And so <laughs> welcome to my pain. That was like watching that's like watching one Jets team play another Jets team on Thursday night football after a short week just that's that's what my life has been like. But anyway, I'll digress on that. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. You know, I, I think the Colts might have set the record for having the most expensive horde offensive line of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing about having an O-line with expensive guys. If you don't hit every single one, you will still be absolutely screwed by the one spot where they just can't protect, so... That's an interesting conversation that we can have in the future, too. Bryson, how are you doing today? I've been better, man. I've, I'm have i still reeling from last night. Um, it's not getting better. And with all the injuries the Broncos happened in that game last night on top of what we already had, it's not looking, not looking like it's going to get better anytime soon. So I'm ready for a long season again, like, like always, you know, maybe next year, maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I won't, I won't pile it in. Um, there's a lot of conversations to be had about what is gonna gonna happen in the immediate future with the Denver Broncos, but we are here to pick some games, so that's what we're gonna do. This will be a little bit of a reprieve from uh, from from that situation for you. Now, we're gonna start with the one o'clock. Actually, no, we're gonna start with another London game. Actually, now that I realize it, um, we are gonna be looking at the Packers. Minus eight against the New York Giants. What a what a annoying spread because you, you everything in me just says yes. Obviously, you pick the Packers, and and yet and yet they can't they can't romp New England with their third string rookie fourth round pick. I guess he was uh, in the game last minute. They can't they can't they can't lay down a lead on them early and run away with it. So what are they going to do against these giants, Kyle? Um, yeah, I would probably stay away from this game, but as annoying as the Packers are seeming as they need to have overtime to be a Macless Jones, <laughs> uh, 
or or Mac or Mac Jonesless New England Patriots team. I am going to go with them in this big uh, eight-point spread. The Giants have the fourth-worst run defense, but a top-ten pass defense. We've seen that before where the Packers have just decided to run it against a team that they know they can run it against. And also, the Giants' stats are coming against, well, the Titans, the Bears, and Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. So um, I, I, I think their defense is kind of inflated. Also... We might be getting Jake Fromm starting for the Giants, and that didn't go well for them last year. So I think the Packers do a better job of just keeping the ball on their side of the f- or on their side of the field and just running up the score and getting at least in a nine point victory. Yeah, what's interesting is you mentioned um, the Packers in games like this have the ability to just run the ball on teams, but what's interesting about that is usually games like that don't lead to these massive blowout wins i mean the packers haven't been anyone good convincingly this season um they barely beat the buccaneers without any of their wide receivers playing and they only won by two points their only big win was against the chicago bears and mac and um justin fields has less completions than anyone else in the nfl so that should tell you about that game the giants are um, also, the Giants are the best running team in football right now. Saquon Barkley's playing phenomenally well. The two struggles with these two very good defenses are the run games. So I agree with you. It's going to be a lot of running in that game. Um, so I think in a game like that where it's a lot of defense, a lot of running in a neutral environment like London is, I think it usually leads to underdogs performing better than they would if it was a traditional road game. If this was in Lambeau, I would take the Packers minus eight. But in London, I think underdogs tend to play a little bit better than they normally do. Eight points is way too much for me to take. I have the Giants covering the spread. They're going to lose, but I have no faith in the Packers beating them by more than a touchdown. Yeah, I think uh, I agree about the running the ball. It's two good running teams going up against each other. I mean, even if one has the better quarterback, then it just doesn't lend itself to a, a, you know, a two score game. The thing, I think you you would have to have a defensive score more than likely to get that. Uh, Which I don't even think is unrealistic given their quarterback situation in New York. That's a, that's why it's annoying. Um, uh okay look I'm going I'm going to trust Dable on this one I'm going to take the Giants plus 8 here. All right. Jacksonville Jaguars are minus 7 at home against the Houston Texans in the AFC South matchup. Now, the Jaguars have been playing quite well. They did slip up a little bit in the bad weather in Philly last week. Are they a full seven points better than the Texans? Because I just feel like the Texans have been playing everybody close. Every like they've been playing everybody close. They I don't think they've been blown out yet. But mm, Trevor Lawrence looks looks like he's arrived. What do you think, Kyle? Um, yeah, this is another game I'd stay away from. But uh, I, I I'll, I'll soften my stance on the Jaguars. I. I do believe they are improved. I just am more. I just am going to be a slow, uh, a slow believer on them. Um, the Texans do look like a bar fear, but as you mentioned, Max, they are competing against teams. I, I don't like this touchdown line. I would take the Texans plus the seven here. It's a division game. 
I mentioned the Texans have shown the ability to compete. Um, they just haven't gotten the results. Also, interesting to note, the, the Jaguars have been favored just twice in the past 33 games. Both those games were against the Texans that they were favored in. They lost both those games by 14 points. So if you're just going off of trends, you might as well just take the Texans plus seven. Yeah, that's really interesting. This, this spread is huge. I never thought I'd see the Jaguars a seven-point uh, favorite against anyone. Um, and like you guys mentioned, the Texans have been playing teams really well. But I think a lot of what's been happening with the Texans lately is the emergence of Damian Pierce. He's been playing very, very good football. And they're going against the seventh-best run defense in the NFL right now. They're giving up – the Jaguars are 93.8 point or yards per game um, on the run, which I think is going to make it a struggle for the – uh, Texans in Jacksonville. I think that the Jaguars have the far better defense. They have the far better quarterback. They have the much better coaching staff. I like the Jaguars in this game to cover the spread. I think it's going to be a pretty easy, convincing win for Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence, I've been saying it to everyone who would listen, just needed an adult at head coach to prove why he was the number one overall pick. He has that with Doug Peterson, and he looks like the reason he was the number one overall pick now. Um, Davis Mills is looking like why he was a middle-round quarterback right now. The quarterback difference to me is pretty staggering at the moment, and I, I like Jacksonville to cover the spread. Yeah. I I don't really love these big spreads. I really don't. I'm going to take the Texans to backdoor cover here, too. Giants and Texans, it's... I haven't seen the Packers or the Jags run up a score enough to be happy with that yet. Nor this is what I was doing here for a second. I'm trying to take a look and see if there's any info on on New Orleans in this this injury report cuz next up we have the New Orleans Saints minus 5 and a half uh hosting the Seattle Seahawks and I, I think, you know, based on the way that the Seahawks have been able to 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 score lately it just doesn't immediately it doesn't seem like something that I'm excited about, but I, I, while you guys talk, I am going to quietly finish looking up the Saints injury report. <laughs> yeah, it, this is this is such a weird game, and talk about a team that's pro a franchise that's probably feeling themselves a lot after last Thursday, after last night's game, uh, yeah. the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> and I, I'll say this, man, they for. For as much as I believe I thought they would be in contention for the number one pick, they don't look like that. Their offense looks incredibly good right now. And you go on the flip side, that is not to be said about the New Orleans Saints. I was pretty high on the Saints. They're just so banged up, and they do not have that offensive chemistry with whoever's at quarterback right now. So at plus five and a half, I'm going with the Seahawks here. And also another note, this is a brutal turnaround for the Saints who just played in London last weekend. We haven't seen a lot of teams have to make that turnaround immediately and play a game again the following week. So I think there's going to be a little bit of, a, uh, I guess, fatigue following that following that game. So I'll take the Seahawks plus five and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to watch the Seahawks play with Geno Smith. He's playing at a, such a high level right now. That offense is humming. They've got a run game going, which... They haven't really had since Marshawn Lynch was there, which is fascinating. Um, and Geno Smith is just playing good, smart football. He's getting the balls to his playmakers early and um, accurately. And the Saints team, you're looking up their injury report, Max. It's not great. 
it seems like every player for the Saints is questionable for this game. So that's not a great um, thing when you're looking at for this game. I know they're at home. I know on paper the Saints are the better team. I have them winning, but I have Seattle covering the spread. Five and a half points is way too many points on the, um, to leave on the table for a team that's been playing everyone really close. The Saints that are so beat up and they haven't played good football lately. So even if the Saints win, I think it's going to be by maybe a field goal. Yeah, I'm looking at it here, and the did-not-participate list includes both Michael Thomas, Peyton Turner, Jameis Winston, and uh, the limited is Marcus May, Alvin Kamara, Jarvis Landry. So, I mean, uh, even if even if you get some, some of those guys, maybe then, um, yeah. I, I'm t- I'm taking the backdoor cover again I, in f- with the possibility to outright win, but I think more likely a backdoor cover. I'm still I'm feeling these these uh, these underdogs this week. I really am. All right, here's one where I'm not feeling the underdogs. We have the Commanders hosting the Titans, and they are plus two in this game. Kyle. Yeah, this is kind of weird because if I'm not mistaken, the Titans actually opened up as a minus two and a half favorite and the line is going towards the commanders, which I find fascinating. I'm going with the Titans minus two. I think it's pretty easy to tell that the commanders are very close to just packing it in and going for the number one pick. Um, I think the one saving grace of the commanders is the Titans have been held scoreless in the second half over the past three games and if we've seen anything from the commanders they know how to turn it on the second half i just think the titans are going to be able to break this thing open pretty early in the game and then just weather the storm like they have been in the past three games so i'll take the titans minus two yeah i've also got the titans at minus two the titans defense is playing a lot better over the last two weeks than they did the first two which isn't too hard their defense was pretty abysmal the first two weeks but against the Raiders and against the Colts they've been playing much better defenses and the commanders are probably right now a little bit better offensively than the Colts but I wouldn't put them better offensively than the Raiders so I like that matchup a little bit Carson Wentz is one of the most sacked quarterbacks in football so I think they're going to be able to get pressure even though they don't have the healthy personnel um to get pressure like you normally would but I think against that offensive line, they're going to find some way to do it, mostly with uh, Simmons up the middle. I think that's going to be where their pressure comes from. And then Derrick Henry's been playing much better over the last two weeks. They're finally getting him holes to, um, to run through. He's finally showing off why he is Derrick Henry, why he's King Henry. Um, and it's making life easier on Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill's played better the last two weeks because the run game's there, and he can use that play-action passing game, uh, which is one of Tannehill's strengths, um, and yeah, it's just the commanders are kind of a mess that, um, they're not looking all that great. I know Brian Robinson Jr., the running back from Bama is coming back for this week, possibly, which is a crazy story in and of itself, but I don't think he's going to be enough in his first NFL game to put the commanders on top. I like the Titans to win this game by, um, and cover the spread. Yeah. If it was anything less than two. I mean, if there's anything more than two, I, my confidence in the Titans wouldn't be so high. But two points, I think they can manage it. I mean, we're talking about less than a field goal to, to win to win this game in cover as well. So Titans, yes. Commanders, 
I hope for their fans' sake that they just put on a better performance over the rest of the year. But even still, it, I don't have high expectations for them. All right. First uh, favorited team getting the pick from me today. All right. Cleveland Browns plus two and a half hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I, I'll say this about the Chargers. Justin Herbert looked a lot more healthy against the Texans as opposed to the Jaguars two weeks ago. However, that the lack of health does bother me a lot with the Chargers. They have so many impact players hurt. But let, let's just re- throw out the reminder that the Browns just lost to the Atlanta Falcons. I really don't have a great feel for this game. It feels like all the oddsmakers want me to take Chargers minus two and a half. I think I'm going to take the bait here and go with the Chargers to cover here. At the end of the day, it just comes down to Justin Herbert versus Jacoby Brissett. And I think we can all agree on who we're picking in that scenario. Well, it's interesting. I talked about the Broncos to open up the show with how many injuries we've had and how many they just keep piling up. The Chargers are right there. They don't have as many injuries, but they have just as many impactful injuries. No Joey Bosa in this game. No Rayshon Slater. That O-line in general is just incredibly beat up. Keenan Allen is is not going to be healthy all year. That's just, just going to be something that Chargers fans have to live with. Um, wide receivers like him don't just magically recover from hamstring injuries. It's not He's going to be dealing with that all year. We've seen um, him by probably, yeah. Yeah, he, it's going to be a long time before he's back to Keenan Allen, if at all this season. Um, and J- uh, Justin Herbert, yeah, he has those rib injuries. He was not hit a lot the last week, and he, like you said, looked a lot healthier. This is a much better Browns defense than the, what they were play- facing against the Texans. Um, Miles Garrett possibly back from that horrible car accident. Um, I'm hoping he's back for this game. That's going to tr- um, change things a lot for this one. And the Browns are one of the best running teams in football, which I think is going to keep them keep this game close because they're going to rely on that. Um, and then same thing with the Titans. Jacoby Brissett's at his best when he can use the play-action passing. Makes things a lot easier for him. Doesn't have to read a whole field. He can read one half of the field. Um, and I don't. I have no faith in the Chargers' defense to stop anyone right now. And the Chargers have the worst run offense in football. So the injuries for the Chargers are the thing that scares me the most. And I have the Browns covering, and I have them winning this game just because I trust in the Browns' run game and defense to pull it off. Yeah, I I'm going with the Chargers here. The Browns barely won against the Panthers, who look like one of the worst teams in the NFL, if not the worst team in the NFL. They lost to the Jets with Joe Flacco. They just lost to the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, who is their other win versus again? Is it even a quality opponent? I mean, they are they are losing to teams here that or or barely squeaking by teams that are not good. Um, I, I think you know, the recipe for success for them really, really depends on a game not not having a high score at, at the completion. It's really the only way that they're getting out of these games. And I, I'd be more, yeah, I'm not, I'm taking the Chargers here. I can't justify it. I know that the defense is way better, but he, but, but, 
you know, Garrett's banged up after that. Even if he does play, their rookie tackle has stepped in at left tackle, played well. And I, look, it wasn't Miles Garrett, but he was playing some solid edge rushers last week. And, and I think if Justin Herbert continues to heal and continues to get better and didn't get, you know, re-aggravate those injuries last week by getting knocked around, I think that you know this is this is one of those games where we just got to chalk it up to the to the elite quarterback. Um, that's my take on it. All right, my New York Jets plus three at home against the Miami Dolphins, even though they are without Tua Tungavailoa here. Um, I understand the spread, but uh, I, I I'm I'm probably going to capital try and capitalize on a, another underdog pick here. So, what do you think, Kyle? Yeah, we're talking about the Jets. They must they are really the masters of comebacks. Some <laughs> fascinating comebacks this year. Um I I'm not even sure what that was in Pittsburgh, but that was pretty impressive. Uh I meanwhile, I hate this whole Tua Miami concussion situation. It makes me roll my eyes about it. Um, but I'll put that aside. I'm actually going to support Teddy Two Gloves Bridgewater in this spot. The Jets haven't won consecutive games straight up since December of December 20th and 27th of 2020. Meanwhile, the Dolphins are 17-8-1 against the spread versus AFC East opponents since 2018. They've won the last five straight up and the last three against the spread. Bridgewater has played as a backup 18 times in his, in his career. He's 14-4 against the spread and 5-0 since 2019. It feels weird to back Teddy Bridgewater, but he's actually been good as like a step in backup coming in for a team. So I'll go Dolphins minus three here. Yeah, I've also got the Dolphins covering the spread. I mean, what's the what's the difference between Teddy and Tua? The fact that one's left handed and one's right handed. It's not like you're going from nah, Lamar Jackson to I disagree, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, neither quarterback pushes the ball downfield all that much. Uh, Tua does it a little bit more now, especially with the weapons. But, I mean, Teddy's never had these type of speedy receivers before, so who knows what Teddy's going to look like. Um, He stepped in against Cincinnati in a horrible situation and played relatively well against a good defense. Um, I don't think there's too much of a drop-off between Tua and Teddy, really. Um, And I think most of it's going to come down to Mike uh, McDaniel, who's just – he looks like a phenomenal coach to me. I'm – Loving everything he's doing, especially on the field as a play caller. He looks fantastic. Um, and I, Zach Wilson came into his first game and threw two picks. If it wasn't f- for the fact they were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers inept offense with two quarterbacks who can't push the ball downfield, the Jets probably lose that game. Because Zach Wilson was throwing that game away until the very last second when the Steelers couldn't capitalize on those turnovers. So I, I, I trust the Miami Dolphins to win this game. I trust... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater to step in and play pretty much the same way Tua has all season with these speedy receivers. Um, And I think the defense for the Dolphins is going to step up a little bit. They're playing a little bit better as the season goes along. So I like the Dolphins to come away and cover the spread. I I think if you watch that game between the Jets and the Steelers, and I I don't want my fandom to to color my my analysis here like in your eyes because I do feel that I can separate them pretty effectively 
if you watch that game, that stat line is it for for Wilson is just not really accurate. Those picks, okay, the the first one, it was not the most accurate throw, but the reality is that his wide receiver on the left side basically quit on a route and didn't keep one of the DBs out of the space that it was designed to be clear, right? So he threw a ball into a space where there should not have been a DB based on the fact that it was man coverage. Shouldn't have happened. Inaccurate throw, floated it a little bit too much. But the reality is, of all the picks that you'll ever see, it's not really that bad. And the other one, it went straight through his tight end's hands, bounced up, and was picked off by Minka Fitzpatrick, who was just in the right place at the right time. Did not play a perfect game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. But the reality is that Wilson did everything but throw that game away. He was under pressure the entire game. And I think the Jets have something here, really, at quarterback. When you, Especially when you look at that fourth quarter pair of drives that he took down the field to score. One with a passing touchdown. One they ran it in. The main issue with this Jets team is that it's, its offensive line is incredibly banged up and, and, a, and a problem. So that would be what they have to overcome here. You, I, I hear your historical trends, but Kyle, when were the last time the Jets? When was the last time the Jets were two and two in September? When was the last time the Jets had two fourth quarter comebacks in the month of September? Like, this is not a Jets team that you can really garner historical data from because they are more talented than they have been in years, and and. There, it's not perfect, but it's just, I think a lot of that stuff has to go out the window because it's not the same coaching staff. It's not the same players. It's a bunch of young players who have been playing exceptionally well. So if the Jets do not cover this game, the offensive line is going to be directly responsible for it. Zamian Howard is not fully healthy. He came out of the game last week on a Thursday night and had an ice pack on his groin. And it looks like Byron Jones is not playing this week again. And the Jets receivers have, have been, you know, showing that they are legitimate receivers in the league. So I, I'm i going to take the Jets here, even if it's just a backdoor cover. But this this is not the same Jets team that we've been seeing for years. That's all I will say. That's That's where I will leave this. But because... There's just the turnover on the roster is wild because there's just so many young players who have been in the league for less than two years and are already making their impact felt. All right. New England Patriots minus three against the Detroit Lions. Looks like they will be starting Bailey Zappi again. The Lions are on this incredible historic trend of maybe leading the league in points and also leading the league in points given up. It would be a wild stat line for that to happen. And unfortunately, it looks like they're coming out on the losing end of that. And the Patriots just play such a particular brand of offensive football with their run game. It's like they are like so unlikely to put up a lot of points. And yet, is it is this what we talked about before the the uh, utterly movable object against like the, the, the very lackluster force. Like, what are we going to see here, Kyle? Um, I've been a backer of the Lions basically the first four weeks of this season. I'm not going to do that here in surprising fashion. Um, 
the one thing about this is Belichick. I realize some of the stats involve Brady here. He's fourteen and two straight up and sixteen or uh, ten and six against the spread off a two game losing streak or longer. So I understand Bailey Zapp is is likely making his first career start. However, you've mentioned Detroit's defense is bad. Their offense is is probably going to be without DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown. That's key, especially when this is going to be the Lions' first game outdoors. They've literally played the first four games in a dome. So I don't know. There's a large variance in what you get when it's Jared Goff as your starting quarterback. So I'm going to go with the Patriots here. I'm going to go with the hoodie, take the minus three, and then move on to next week where I'll go back to the Lions. (laughs) I don't... I don't really understand how the Patriots inept offense and mediocre defense with a rookie quarterback in Bailey Zappi can be favorites in this game. Like I, I get it a little bit, but the lions offense, like Max said, is on a historical trend. I mean, they're the best offense in football right now. And you mentioned Kyle, they'll be without most likely Deandre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown. They were without them last week against the Seattle Seahawks defense has been playing pretty similar or if not better than the Patriots defense. And they put up 45 points. I know they're outdoors, but I have full faith in this Lions offense to keep it moving. I have no faith in the Patriots offense. I think that the Lions defense will get something going in this game. They have talent on that side of the ball. They're just not putting it all together. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, Jeffrey Okuda, um, and some other Pretty solid pieces on that defense should be able to get something going against a rookie quarterback in Bailey Zappi. I think it's going to be a higher scoring game than people think just because of the that's the way the Lions play football. Um, at plus three, I'm 100% taking the Lions because I think they're going to win this game. Yeah. Um, you both made compelling arguments, genuinely. But even without those two players, TJ Hawkinson has been coming on. I mean, that offensive line looks good. Jamal Williams has been playing well. Even if they don't win, even if they don't win, it, I don't think there's anything you can point to on the Patriots' offense to say this is what's going to score them a multitude of points. Bailey Zappi's arm is, it's, it's, like, it's not great even for backup quarterback standards. You know what I mean? He's like, the, the, purest example of the heady quarterback who you know knows the offense very very well and knows where to go with it but will always be limited so much by his overall physical traits that he won't be a starter like that's exactly who he is and and so it just I don't think a guy like that is going to be putting up a, a whole heck of a lot of points and I mean yeah I'm going to take the Lions here as well even if it's just to cover even if it's just a cover, because I hear what you're saying, Bryce, and it's like, how can that offense be favored? How? But maybe it's just because of what they did against the Packers last week, but the Packers have their own issues as well. So Minnesota Vikings minus seven and a half in an NFC North matchup with the Chicago Bears, who I did pick to have the first overall pick this year. And at this pace right now, their record is not an indication of who they are as a team. They are awful. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I 
kind of want to take the Bears here, but I'm not going to do that. Um, the the main reason why I've con- I thought about taking the Bears here is I you I mentioned teams coming back from London playing immediately, like the Saints. The Vikings are doing that just now, so the fact that I'm seeing they have to win by more than a, a full touchdown actually kind of actually kind of scares me. But you guys have kind of hinted at it. I don't know how the Bears score enough. Justin Fields is also four and ten against the spread as a starting quarterback, and three and nine as an underdog. This is just not a spot where I I see them being able to score enough. Where if the Vikings just get three touchdowns, I think that's more than enough for them to cover the spread. So I'll take the Vikings minus seven and a half. Yeah, a couple positive things for the Bears: how they've gotten to the where they are so far this season. They have a pretty solid defense, especially against the pass. They have the fourth best passing defense in the NFL. They have the worst rushing defense, so that's weird dynamic there. Um, and they do have the third best rushing offense in the NFL, so that's kind of how they've been winning these games. They've been running the crap out of the ball and playing relatively. They're playing good enough defense to cover for just how bad Justin Fields is. I mean, I've been off the Justin Fields train even before the draft. I mean, they're, I'm a Broncos fan, so if you're a Broncos fan, you know everyone in the world wanted us to take Justin Fields. I am so happy we took Pat Sertan instead of Justin Fields. Um, this is another week where I get to say that the player, the quarterback going against Justin Fields has more completions than Fields has attempts. That is utterly pathetic in the NFL today. Fields can't complete a ball further than 20 yards um, consistently. They aren't even like, they don't even trust him to throw the football. That's the sad thing. And I think the Vikings with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, they're all, they're, they're going to put up points and the Bears are going to have to score with them. Kirk or Justin Fields isn't on the same level as Kirk Cousins, which should tell you all you need to know for this game. I've got the Vikings covering the spread just because I think the Vikings' offense is going to, like Kyle said, Kyle said they're going to put up, you know, twenty-one three plus touchdowns, and the Bears can't do that. So I've I've got the Vikings covering the spread. Yeah, I, I mean, if if you're looking at that Bears defense and the fact that they've been able to to do well against the pass, they also some of that is just situational, and if they are that bad against the run, they have to go up against a decent enough offensive line and Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison and just an overall good running game and if that happens that just makes life easy for Kirk Cousins that doesn't make him have to create on his own if he can just hand the ball off and eventually play action will take its effect this is a game where we're probably gonna maybe even get overexcited about the Vikings you know what I mean because I think that they have their limitations as well but but I, I, I was out on Justin Fields as well after the draft, but before the preseason, because there was just that physical talent level. It was too much for teams that need quarterbacks to pass on. Cause we're, we're not talking about Mac Jones where guys are trying to have a conversation with themselves about, uh, you know, he's a smart quarterback. He's a good kid, but you know, we need tools to win in this league right now. Right? Well, that was Justin Fields. Everything you could ever want. Running ability, size, ridiculous arm talent, downfield accuracy, everything. And so the fact that these teams, that Atlanta 
was willing to pass on him, that uh, the Panthers were willing to pass on him, the Broncos were willing to pass on him. I mean, that's just too many. It's just it's just too many. I, I, there were others as well. Other teams would have had the option to trade up and go get him. Um, the fact that he's not notably less toolsy than than a guy like Trey Lance, like they're probably pretty close to equals. You know, I think Lance is probably a little bigger, but the the 49ers decided to go with him far 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 less experienced played way 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 less college football so the only reason you take a chance on a guy like that over Justin Fields is if you are that wildly confident in the difference of their their makeup their character their ability to lead a franchise and so like i once that all took place it was kind of reading between the lines that they don't like this guy for a reason. There's something there. And so regardless of, Oh, and then last year you saw it too. Like Nagy did not want to play him. He did not want to actively fought it. And whatever else you want to say, it's like, there are too many signs pointing to this guy, not being ready, not being prepared, not being ready to lead it, uh, an offense. Anyway, I'll digress on that. But it did seem from a very, very early, early stage that Justin Fields career was destined to be, a bit of a disappointment. So um, I've kind of been hinting at it on all podcast formats since that happened. But Buffalo Bills minus 14 against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Buffalo. I mean, is this the biggest spread we've seen so far this year? I think it is. Yes. Yeah, I'm hoping you guys are all on the same side as me. This this line's really out of hand. I get the I get Kenny Pickett's likely getting his first start, or I I can't recall if they've made that decision already. They did, if they're yeah, playing yeah. playing games, okay. Yeah, so I get he's making his first start. Didn't look great. Had a tough time giving the ball to the Jets in in coming in relief duty, but. Really, fourteen points here. I understand the Bills are really, really are are an offensive juggernaut, and the Steelers are not. But the Bills are also one dimensional, and that's to the Steelers' benefit. And I'll just say this: the Steelers have only been beaten this much twice since uh, Week Eleven of twenty nineteen, and that was tw- and those two times came against the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's more explainable than than seeing something like this where they're two touchdown underdogs to the Bills. So I'm taking the Steelers off principle. Yeah, to your question, Max, this is the largest spread of the season, I believe, and it is the largest underdog role the Steelers have played in like 50 years or something like that. They've never been 14-point favorites. I think the last time they were this high was like they were 11, or not favorites, 14-point underdogs. I think the last time... They were like this low of underdogs. They were 11 and a half points or some ridiculous like that. Like it's, they've never been 14 point under, underdogs before. I think like Kyle said, out of principle, you should take the Steelers. It's so nerve wracking. Cause can I see the bills just completely destroying Pittsburgh? Yes. I can see them winning by 30 plus points. Cause that's how inept the Steelers offense is. But like Kyle said, the bills of offense, while is a juggernaut, is so one-dimensional. They can't run the football with anyone but but Josh Allen. And the last two weeks have kind of showed that against the Dolphins and Ravens. I mean, the Ravens have a bad defense, and they can only put up 23 points against them. And that game was close the whole way. I know the weather was a 
factor. But if you have a guy like Josh Allen against that defense, you should you should put up more than 23 points no matter what the weather is. Like If he's the MVP, he needs to play better in these type of games. The Steelers' defense, I think, is going to find ways with Minka Fitzpatrick and that secondary to keep the game close. I think Kenny Pickett is good enough to get the ball to his playmakers. It's going to be interesting to see how much they give him for the offense, like how much freedom he has. I think they're going to be very conservative. They're going to run the ball. Kenny Pickett's going to run the ball. Um, and with that, I think it's going to be hard for me to justify taking a 14-point favorite. So like Kyle said, out of principle, I'm taking the Steelers to cover a 14-point spread. I'm taking the Bills, and I'm happy about it too. The Bills last week were pretty clearly to me still kind of struggling with some of the fatigue after that Miami game. That took it out of them. Almost every single player on the team had to stop for cramps at some point. Um, it was it, it was a letdown game in some regards because it was for the division lead. They were physically absolutely spent. And so they started slow in the game against the Ravens. They ended up coming back strong. They It was a tale of two halves for them. Slow start, strong finish. Um the Steelers have a terrible offensive line. I expect defensive scores in this game. Somebody's going to fumble. There are going to be at least one or two interceptions. I promise you that. Pickett looks good as terms of in terms of sparking the energy of the offense, but the reality is that in, in the exact opposite where those picks weren't really that bad for Wilson, at least two of, of the picks for, for Pickett were absolute rookie mistakes and like just balls that you should never have thrown the last one on the Hail Mary whatever like I'm not going to really care about that but the other two not good their offensive line is against that Bills defensive line is is going to be a problem they won't be able to do anything offensively I wouldn't be surprised if they do not score a touchdown at period in this game and rely on field goals as their only source of points so I, I'm, I'm high on the Bills for this one, I think that this is the Bills after solidifying their place atop the AFC after another game hard fought against the Ravens. They will absolutely blow out the Steelers in this coming weekend. Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus 10 against the Falcons. Now here's here's one where I think the big spread is probably a little bit too hefty just based on the injury situation. Kyle? Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. This was, I believe, an eight and a half point spread, and it's been all the way up to ten. I was gonna take the the Falcons at plus eight and a half, and I'm and I'm definitely taking them at ten. Look, the Falcons, they're not they're not great yet. They're two and two and four and zero against the spread, and that's kind of the reasoning behind why I take them in the spot. Tampa is banged up in in the spots you need, um, in particular receiver. I think everybody except my except Mike Williams is carrying an injury distinction. Uh, Cameron Brate's got a concussion, so Tom Brady doesn't really know who he's throwing to. I understand the Bucks have a good, have a very good defense, but ten points is just a lot to ask of a team that's really banged up against a Falcons team that is really, really competitive and really, really scrappy. So I'll go ahead and take the Falcons plus ten. Yeah, I was. I'm on the same train as you. I was going to take the Buccaneers at minus eight and a half. Um, but then at 
at 10 points, 10 points is just too much to me for a team that hasn't shown the ability to beat anyone convincingly. Um, the offense did come alive a little bit against the Chiefs, but man, they they relied on Brady too much in that game. I think they're going to try and run the ball more in this game. They're going to try and give Brady some plays off, which doesn't lead to massive victories. The Falcons have been playing teams close um, and winning more games than I thought they were going to win this early in the season. The one thing that scares me with the Falcons is Cordell Patterson is out, and he is basically the source of that offense. I mean, he was the best player on that side of the ball for them all year. Marcus Mariota is playing fine, but he's not playing all that great. And against this Bucks defense, I mean, that scares me a lot. But 10 points is a lot for another team with an offense. To, that One good week doesn't prove they can beat a team by 10-plus points, especially a team that's been playing very well so far this season. So I've got the Falcons covering. They're going to lose, but I think they're going to at least cover a 10-point spread. Yeah, I feel the same. I think, you know, Cordell Patterson, has. I don't think he's the best, but he was the most effective in terms of production. But Tyler Algier stepped in, had a solid game, uh, taking over lead carries there. Um, so, I mean, they have some offensive players. They've got Kyle Pitts. They've got Drake London. They've got Tyler Algier. They've got these young guys. Um, they should be able to move the ball a little bit enough to keep up with a Tampa Bay team where the def- the uh, offensive line is in tatters and and like you said banged up wide receivers plus there's weird vibes in in New England I almost said uh in uh in Tampa right now because you know everything that's going on with Tom Brady Todd Bowles misses a practice with personal reasons um Cole Beasley signs with them and then immediately retires after two games. It's like, it's kind of like, this is not normal stuff that we see from an NFL franchise and they will just get the benefit of the doubt for as long as Brady is there because of what he's done. But it kind of seems a little bit like there's just trouble in paradise. You know what I mean? And we'll see, they may still end up having enough, enough wins to, potentially even lead the NFC and be the number one seed just because of the, the nature of that conference. But, but I, from week to week, it's, it's hard for me to pick them in a spread this large. So I will take the Falcons as well. Panthers plus six and a half as they host the oh, 49ers. Um, 49ers coming off a big win on Monday Night Football. They look really good. I don't know if that spread's big enough. Yeah, I I'm going with the 49ers minus six and a half. The reason why I don't I I'm guessing why uh, the odds makers didn't make this like more than a full touchdown is just because the 49ers are coming off a uh, coming off a short week and then having to travel to the East Coast. That's usually not a good formula for teams. However, the the Panthers have not looked good offensively at all. And so I think I saw somewhere where if if the Panthers give up over 17 points. They're like one in 26 under Matt rule right now. So literally all the 49ers need to do is score three touchdowns. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, Debo Samuel, Brandon, Ayuk, Jeff Wilson, Jr. I think they're more than capable of doing that. Heck their defense might be able to score one or two touchdowns against Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. So give me the 49ers minus the six and a half. 
Yeah, my my Panthers pick isn't looking too great right now. I wasn't expecting Baker Mayfield to look this awful. With the weapons he has around him, I was expecting him to play a lot better than he is. I mean, he has DJ Moore. He has LaVisca Chenault, who looks like a very dominant receiver with his size and athletic ability every now and then. He has Christian McCaffrey, who's been relatively healthy. I mean, he's been playing games, and he's had good games every now and then this week or this season. Um, and he's he's got pieces around him. I just wasn't expecting Baker himself to look this awful. The Niners looked really, really good against the Rams. That defense has been looking good all season. They're one of the top two or three defenses in football. Like Kyle said, they might even get a defensive score in this game. Nick Bosa against this Panthers O-line might get three-plus sacks. I mean, that's how bad that O-line is, and that's how good Nick Bosa is. So I think I'm with Max. The six-and-a-half points doesn't seem like enough. They get Panthers get points because they're home. That might be part of why it's not such a massive spread. But the Niners are going to win this game pretty convincingly, I think. I mean, you're seeing what this offense can look like with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not, it's not exciting, and it's not like, Sean McVay pushed the ball downfield. He's not throwing 50-yard bombs, but he's getting it into Debo Samuel's hands. They're running the ball really well. They seem like they can get run game out of any receive out of any running back. It doesn't matter who it is. They've got this Jeff Wilson guy as their third string back coming off um coming up to the starting role and he's averaging what is he averaging like 5 yards a carry? I mean, he's been playing phenomenal football. So, I just think the Niners are going to roll away with this game. It's not it's not going to be close. I don't think it's going to be close at all. And I think I think if you can get yourself a prop on a defensive score for the 49ers, you take that right away. They were dominant against that Rams offense, and this is not the Rams offense. Um, I, I think that if you want to get frisky, you could even put like 10 bucks on them getting two if you can find a prop like that, just because it'll, it'll pay out if you can find it, and I do think there's a legitimate chance that there is a scoop and score off a of Baker Baker Mayfield fumble and a pick six because he has been playing that bad and this defense looks that good. It's that complete. Um, so let's see what else we've got here. Let's uh, go over to the Rams. They are now favored, despite their loss last week, five and a half as they host the Dallas Cowboys. Um, okay. That's that's an unusual spread. I mean, they have done nothing but win these past three weeks. So I understand a favor, but they are they just are they inviting us to take the Cowboys? Is that what they want to happen here? Yeah, I thought this was weird. And if you want something stranger, it opened up at four and a half, and now it's it's going. It continues to move towards the Rams. For for a lot of people, I think. Everybody is betting on the Rams to cover this, and I kind of see why. I at four and a half, I was gonna take the Rams, and then five and a half. The Rams are just kind of really, really clunky right now offensively. They seem to only be able to get the ball to Cooper Cup, and nobody else is able to get open. Meanwhile, Dallas is just kind of trucking along. Um, their defense, in terms of pass rush, is phenomenal. And we just saw the Rams have trouble protecting Stafford consistently. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys here at plus five and a half. Yeah, this game is really um, hard for me to pick. I am going to take the Rams to cover because I believe in McVay and this offense to turn around at some points. The one thing that scares me is the pass rush for the Cowboys. They have the best pass rush in football right now. 
And like Kyle said, that offensive line for the Rams is struggling. But I'm confident in Sean McVay finding ways to maneuver around that, make it so that the um, offensive line isn't as like important as it actually is. They're going to get quicker passing out of it. They're going to get uh, – I'm, I'm hoping they're going to get other players involved. I mean, my God, if anyone else can catch five-plus catches, that'd be fantastic for the Rams. They're trying to get other guys involved. They're trying to get Higby involved. Allen Robinson needs to step up. Uh, but I think what's going to really happen is they're going to get them with quick passing early. And if you watch Trayvon Diggs, you know that he's going to jump on a quick route at some point. He, they're going to put him on Cooper Cup all game because that's the best matchup for the Cowboys. And Cooper Cup's going to hit him with a double move. And Trayvon's going to bite. And if Stafford has the time to stand in the pocket and get that ball to him, he's going to. So I think... I just have more faith in the Rams. The Cowboys really haven't beaten anyone good this season with Cooper Rush. I mean, the the Bengals were the best team they beat, and that was a Bengals team still finding their way. Um, if they play the Bengals today, I think the Bengals win that game. Um, Cooper Rush is playing fine. He's not doing anything exciting. He's not doing anything crazy good. I mean, he's just getting the ball to um, to uh, C.D. Lamb, which shocker works. I don't know why Dak can't do that. Um, but I think the Rams are going to shut down the run better than the teams they've been playing against will, which is going to help, uh, which is going to hurt Cooper Rush a lot. So I'm, I've just in the fact that I trust the Rams coaching staff and their talent around them more than I trust the Cowboys. I'm taking the Rams to cover this at home. Uh, I think that I trust McVeigh to get the win here, but I don't trust them to cover any spread. That's more than about three points because that offensive line, it doesn't matter what you do. If you've got a guy like Micah Parsons coming at you, that is a mismatch for, I think, every single player they have. You know, and it's, it's I mean, Micah Parsons is a mismatch for maybe the majority of offensive linemen in the NFL, but certainly the Rams offensive line. And you said that, you know, you give Stafford time in the pocket to find uh, um, Cooper Cup on a double move. I don't see that happening. Not consistently. I don't see it. I don't see him having time with Tank Lawrence on the other side. Uh, I think this is going to be a struggle, and the Rams will probably win just because of of Cooper Cooper Cup, just because of the the veteran leadership and Sean McVay. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys win, and I will be kind of surprised if they don't cover. So I'm going to take them there. The Arizona Cardinals. This is a spread that is far too small for me. Plus five, hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. Okay, so I guess, I don't know. You guys know the way the betting works a little bit better than I do. Did this Is this another one that started more in the Eagles' favor and has been drifting back? Are people just betting the Eagles like crazy? Because Cardinals are terrible. They're absolutely terrible. One of the worst teams in the league. They're dysfunctional. They're only wins have been against other terrible teams, and the Eagles are a top three team in the NFL to me. So I don't know what the heck this is all about. I'll let you go first, but I've obviously kind of shared my thoughts there. Yeah, no, this is one that actually opened up at five, if I'm not mistaken, and it stayed at five. And I, I just don't understand it. So I'm, if it's not obvious already, I'm taking Eagles minus five. Look, they covered against the Jaguars in a monsoon, so I'm going to take them here when they're going to be in the nice, sunny, undercover weather of Arizona and 
and see them getting at least a touchdown victory out of this. The Cardinals are not good. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be on the hot seat by by midway this season because I think the, the bottom is certainly falling off right now. Kyler Murray can't throw to anybody that's not named Hollywood Brown. So I, I just think the Eagles are too diverse. They're going to put up points. We know that. Cardinals kind of are like, we're not sure what we're getting with them. I think the Eagles are the play here, minus five. Yeah, the Eagles are for sure the play at minus five. I think part of why it's only five is because the Cardinals are at home. And when you're a home team, you do get three points automatically. So it's kind of like the betters are saying the Eagles are actually going to, are actually more like eight point favorites because they're on the road. It's not really how the numbers work, but it's kind of how the betting part of it works when choosing these spreads. So Really, the, they think the Eagles are eight points better than the Cardinals. But because they're at home, they only get five. Um, but anyway, the Cardinals are a mess offensively, like Kyle said. Kyler Murray can't throw to anyone but Hollywood Brown. And I don't think Hollywood Brown's the number one receiver in this league. I think he's a decent number two in this league. And if he's your number one target, if he's the only guy you're throwing to, it's not going to go well. The Eagles' defense is playing absolutely incredible football which is going to just make life so hard on the Cardinals offense the one thing that does point to the Cardinals favor is they are the fifth best team against the run and that is the Eagles strength now Jalen Hurts is throwing the ball a lot better than he did last year I think even people thought he would this year but they do need that run game it is a staple of that offense it is what their identity is and if the Cardinals can find a way to shut down or even just slow down that run game it could be a closer game than people think I don't see it happening I think the Eagles are just that good I think they're the far better team they're the far better coach team right now too and so I think the Eagles are going to win this game pretty easily and um, they're for sure going to cover a five-point spread yeah I don't really buy into the the top five against the run I think that's an inflated number just because they've they played against the Chiefs who just threw the ball all over them didn't even have Mm -hmm. to run it you know what I mean? Like it was easy yeah. for them. And then <laughs> they played against the the uh, Raiders, who are also awful and not good at running the football at all. So I, I think you know that's that's probably a little bit skewed. Plus the Eagles are just they have not faced a team that is even remotely in the same class as the Eagles' offensive line, or I think really had to face a running quarterback like Jalen Hurts yet either, if I'm not mistaken. So. I, I think that this is this this spread. I understand the idea behind three points going to the home team, but I think you I think you just got to throw that out the window sometimes. You know, when it's just there's a clear difference in class, and the Cardinals are another team like the Broncos who they just it's slightly different but it's similar in some ways the cardinals just gave a monster contract extension to cliff kingsbury and they just gave a huge extent i don't want to say monster to cliff kingsbury they gave an extension to cliff kingsbury and the gm and they gave a big extension to kyler murray and so far none of that is working so they might be in the position where they have to take a huge l financially to move on from from uh cliff kingsbury probably try and get somebody else in and hopefully you know rectify the situation with Kyler Murray and the Broncos man they just paid their head coach so this is just because we're not talking about about it anywhere else here 
the the Broncos, we we may well see the fastest firing of a head coach in the history of the NFL. I genuinely believe that's the possibility because Walton, the new owner, A, has zero ties to that staff. Zero. He also is the wealthiest NFL owner by a wide margin. So just paying out that contract for him to go, for, for Hackett to go away is a very viable option for him in a way that it's not really even for some of the other wealthy owners. Money is not an object. He does not want to sit through his first year as an NFL owner watching what just took place the other day. So these two teams have a similarity in that they are very tied to their head coach and quarterback financially. And they may make changes there just like and take those L's just to get out of them. So I guess that's just the way that I'm tying in a brief Broncos conversation there. But yeah, Eagles minus five away, no doubt. Baltimore Ravens minus three and a half against the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North. This is Sunday Night Football. We made it to primetime, baby. All right. The Baltimore Ravens are my number four team in the NFL. They were my number four team on the power rankings that I just put out this week. And I like the Bengals as well. I originally picked them to win the division. Like you guys said, it did take them a little while to find themselves. I think, Bryson, you said that. Um, so this is one of the best matchups of the week in terms of like viewing enjoyment. So I'm glad that it made it to prime time and I won't be distracted by any other games. Um, in fact, I'm not sure I saw any other game here that I'm that excited about besides this one. It's not maybe, maybe not the best slate of games, but ah, what do you guys think? I haven't even decided who I want to pick yet. Yeah, this one's interesting because I don't disagree with the fact that the Ravens are a really good team. They're just really horrible at holding on to large leads. Um, the one thing about this matchup is this is not a good matchup for Baltimore. They have the worst pass defense in the NFL so far. Uh, and they had the worst pass defense in the NFL, or basically in terms of yards last season. And if you want to know the guy that tore them up the most last year, well, it was Joe Burrow. So I, I think the Ravens have made, can make things a little different this time around because I don't think Burrow and the Bengals offense is, is clicking at that same clip as they were when they played them twice last year. However, we just found out John Harbaugh is against taking go-ahead field goals. He openly admitted that using the word analytics to justify his means. So if you're giving me the free field goal for the Bengals to cover, I'm going to take the free field goal. Bengals plus three and a half. Yeah, I've also got the Bengals covering this spread, mostly because I have the Bengals winning this game outright. Um, Why Kyle said, worst passing defense in the NFL and they're going up against Joe Burrow, who's finally got his groove going. He's playing a lot better than he did the first two weeks. The O-line's protecting him a lot better. Um, and they're going against the defense that doesn't get sacks. Not only does their pass uh, defense in general kind of suck, but their pass rush isn't getting to the quarterback. In four games this season, they have... Let's see, I'm getting the last one. They have like eight total sacks in four games this season. That's not good enough. Yes, they're going to probably get one against the Bengals just because that's what the Bengals do. But their O-line's playing a lot better. Joe Mixon's starting to come along. He got it going in the last week. Um, found the end zone. That should hopefully give him a lot of confidence. That passing 
attack for the Bengals is lethal. And the one thing not enough people are talking about when it comes to the Bengals is that defense. I mean, their defense is playing exceptionally well. And they're shutting down the run. They're not letting anyone get going on that side of the ball. The Ravens can't run the football with anyone but Lamar Jackson. And so I think they're going to end up being too Lamar dependent in this game. Um, You've seen when teams put a lot of pressure on the Ravens to keep leads or even just come back and win a game. Lamar's sometime inaccuracy throwing the football in the pocket shows up. And it's it's been showing a little bit more and more uh, recently. I think the Bengals are going to put pressure on Lamar. They're going to make it hard. They're going to make Lamar throw the ball to win the game, which for the Ravens, yeah, Lamar is good enough to do that, but you don't want to have to rely on him throwing the ball. You want to be able to use your entire offense. Um, But the Bengals, I think, are just going to put too much pressure on them. As soon as the Ravens score, the Bengals are just going to go down and score right back because that's just what the Ravens let teams do. So I've got... I've got the Bengals winning this game, so obviously I have them covering a three and a half point spread. I, especially early in the season, I do still like to rely on my preseason predictions because they often are more right than whatever emotional swing I'm making, uh, you know, from a week to week basis. Um, I think that's proven right. Like, there were a lot of teams where I was like, oh man, I don't know if I should have picked them to make the playoffs or picked them to win the division after one, two weeks, but now it kind of looks like a lot of them are rounding into shape. So I'm just going to rely on that for the, for the Bengals here. They do look like they're improving. Um, so this would put them back in the lead for the AFC North, I believe, if they win this game. And it will be a hard-fought division throughout the year, but I do like their offensive ability. Um, so that does it for this week. I will run through quick last week. The leader... In our pick'em pool at playactionpools.com is P. Tomps for this week four. He got 12 points, so pretty good showing there. Um, I'm not sure who P. Tomps is, but uh, you can let me know. And guys, again, you can pick along with us at playactionpools.com. It's free to join. Um, you can just use the link in the description below. And even if you haven't picked with us all year, I will still shout you out if you win in any given week on the podcast. And now between Kyle and I, we both had eight and a half for this week. Bryson, you had six and a half this week. And Kyle, you are still exactly one point ahead of me for, for the <laughs> for the full season. So we are neck and neck. Hey, who did you take? Did you take the Colts to cover this week? I did. Oh, man. I, I, <laughs> I went I went with it. I, I was more I did not put it in the article. Um, the Thursday night football article, because that was not the best bet. The best bet was the under of 43. That was a slam dunk going to be under. Um, but yeah, no, I took the Colts plus three and a half. I'm just trying to get a leg up on you. I also took the Colts. So, (laughs) all right. Um, okay guys, we are, that is going to do it for us for this week. And, um, we will be back next Friday to pick every single game against the spread again. And I'm liking how this race is shaking out. It's nice and tight. So, guys, let everybody know where they can find you. Kyle, you are our lead draft analyst now here at Gridiron Heroics. Just want to shout that out. Or draft. Lead lead betting analyst, excuse me, for gridironheroics.com. So, um, appreciate your work. And uh, let everybody know where they can find you and your, and your weekly uh, articles. Yeah, you just mentioned it. Uh, all my all my NFL betting stuff's going to be on Gridiron Heroics. Um, just had the Thursday night game. Had 
had uh, four out of the five five props I offered up or picks I offered up, including the six leg uh, plus nine hundred same game parlay, all hit last night. So if you missed that, sorry, don't worry. There's a there's a <laughs> one for the upcoming Sunday slate coming. You can also find me on Twitter at Kyle underscore Nishida. Right on. And Bryson, I appreciate you very much being our guy <clears throat> being our guy last week when it was just you and I as well. So. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you as well. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BrysonOwen16. It's B-R-I-S-O-N. And then you can find me on Gridiron Heroics and on DenverSportsBetting.com. Beautiful. Guys, thanks again, and we will see you next Friday. Thank you so much for listening to our Week 5 Picks episode. We will be back on Monday to recap the slate of Sunday games, and we are also going to preview the Monday night football game. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and the Gridiron Heroics Football Show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Please like, review, rate, subscribe, anything that is relevant to where you listen to us. We appreciate it immensely. And we will see you all very soon.